Today's message, God is on the throne and in control, part two. So this is part three, part three of Revelation chapter four, but it's part two of the message that I started last week, God is on the throne and in control. So this is part two of a three-week series, and if you can track with that, you're doing better than I am. Let's go ahead and stand up for the reading of the word. We're going to be in Revelation chapter four, verses six through 11. And just as a reminder, the word throne is the theme of chapter 4. Really, it's the theme of all of Revelation, but especially chapter 4. And we'll see the word throne used a dozen times in this chapter. And just in these last six verses, let's see, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, six verses, you'll see the word throne used six times. And so um, as we read through it, you're going to see that word over and over again. Because God is on the throne, he is on his throne, and he is in control. Revelation 4, 6 through 11, ESV says, And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy, (laughs) worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Lord, as we have read your word and our desire is to understand your word and to understand what you want us to know about your word because it speaks something about your character and your nature. And as the message is titled today, you are on the throne and you are in control. And so in our personal lives, in our very personal scenarios, with the struggles and victories and everything in between that we are dealing with in this life, I pray that you would show us in those areas specifically, show us how you are on the throne and how you are in control. And God, we just we just invite you to do that and comfort us and minister to us with that truth. So help us, Lord, we pray. We bless you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So this first part of verse 6 I actually covered last week, but to cover the whole verse again, we're going to cover what I covered last week just briefly, and then we'll get into the balance of it. The first part of verse 6, and before the throne there was, I've got this cough drop in my mouth. How can I get rid of this thing in a polite way? Oh, thank you, Thomas. So the mom and Jolene comes out and she's like, just put it in my hand. I'll take one for the team. Like a little kid trying to get rid of their chewing gum or whatever they try to get rid of. She's like, I'll take it. Tom, a father, brings the the tissue. I appreciate that, bro. (laughs) Both are great. So now we can 
keep going here. First part of verse 6 says, Before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass-like crystal. And as I said last week, the sea of glass-like crystal properly represents the finished cleansing and purification work of Christ on the cross. It's a beautiful picture. We see the picture, a different picture that kind of alludes to this picture in Exodus chapter 30. In Exodus chapter 30, we see a bronze basin filled with water uh, where the priests would ceremonially cleanse themselves before coming near the altar of God to minister. So they would come before this bronze basin and ceremonially they'd wash their hands and their feet in preparation for going into the presence of God and ministering before the altar. It's a great practice. Then and now, although our cleansing is complete, it's always appropriate to make a personal inventory of our lives before we come before the Lord and say, Lord, in what area of my life do I need to confess and repent? Lord, in what area of my life am I struggling do I need to bring before you? And in a real and genuine sense, we're uh, washing ourselves like the priest did in that bronze basin, washing hands and feet in preparation before going to the Lord. Jesus has finished the work of cleansing his people, and for that we say, thank you, Lord. We're so grateful. We're so grateful for the finished work of cleansing his people, and so the water is solid. It's a sea of glass like crystal. There is no need for further cleansing. And so if you're here today and you've given your life to Jesus and Part of giving your life to Jesus is confessing your sin before the Lord. And part of that process is the Lord recognizing you, seeing you, seeing your confession. And he responds to your very sincere confession and he cleanses you and he adopts you into his family. And so we see before the throne of God, we see this finished work on demonstration before us, uh, reminding us for all eternity that it is God, Jesus the Lord, who has cleansed us from our sins. Back to verse 6, and around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And so even as we saw in Genesis chapter 9, the first mention of the rainbow representing the the promise of God, uh, representing the goodness of God, we see in Genesis chapter 9 um, reference to these four living creatures as well. In Genesis chapter 9, verses 9 and 10 says this, Behold, I establish my covenant. God says, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. So the face of a man represents you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the eagle in flight representing the birds, the livestock, the livestock being represented by the ox, and every beast, every beast is represented by the lion. Every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast. Of the earth. And so we see all four living creatures in Revelation chapter 4, verse 7. We see them, well, we're going to see them in Ezekiel as well. We see them in Genesis. And so you see the purposes of God's woven throughout the scripture in the Old and the New Testament. It all comes together and makes sense as we understand all of God's counsel to us. So we see all four living creatures in Revelation 4 7. It's as if God is 
pointing us back to his judgment on the earth with the flood, reminding us that even as he had a covenant with Noah and kept him safe from judgment, he has made a covenant with all who put their trust in Jesus and will also keep us separate from the judgment he is getting ready to pour out on the world. What is the judgment that he's getting ready to pour out on the world as we study Revelation? It's the judgment of the the scrolls. It's the great tribulation, period of the tribulation, period of the seven years. And so um, as we think about the, the judgment of God, as we think about what's going on in the throne room, we see the rainbow, we see the uh, we see the four living creatures. We, see, we just see a picture. We see the finished work of Christ represented by the, the solid um, uh, water that's at his throne. Um, I came across this interesting article. Most of us are likely familiar with the parallel, which has often been noted between the four gospel accounts and the four living creatures. And so the lion symbolizes supreme strength, uh, kingship, the man, highest intelligence. The ox, lowly service. The eagle, heavenliness, mystery, and divinity. In Matthew, we see the Messiah King, the lion. In Mark, we see Jehovah's servant, the ox. In Luke, we see the son of man, the man, the face like a man. In John, we see the son of God, the eagle. It needs all four aspects to give us the full truth as sovereign he comes to reign and rule as servant he comes to serve and suffer as son of man he comes to share and sympathize as son of god he comes to reveal and redeem wonderful fourfold blending sovereignty and humility humanity and deity and so we see the truth of god the truth of who he is and all that he represents and all that he declares in the old and the new testament the four living creatures each had six wings and they were full of eyes and we see these creatures in isaiah 6 as well and we'll get there in just a just a moment the wings have purpose and the eyes speak of the all-seeing, all-knowing wisdom and understanding of God. Verse 8, let's read it. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings are full of eyes, all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. These creatures and the 24 elders understood something about God. They experienced something about God, and that experience compelled them to worship. God is on the throne and in control, and we covered the first two points of the message last week. Number one, we must honor him as God. Number two, we must accept his covenant. And if you want to go back and listen to that message, coupled with this message, you'll get the, pretty much all of Revelation chapter 4 summed up for you. Number three, God is on the throne and in control. We must worship him only. We must worship him only. In Isaiah 6, it records Isaiah's vision of the Lord. We read in Isaiah 6, 1 through 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. 
And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. All of scripture is consistent through and through. You can trust what is recorded in the pages of scripture. And you can see as you study the scripture, you can see how it all comes together and makes sense. And as it all comes together and makes sense, it all points us to Jesus, who is our redeemer, our forever and ever king and Lord. Isaiah's vision continues, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. Now I love this part. Verse 7, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you've invited his grace and mercy into your life, the same can be said of you. Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So I encourage you to walk in that freedom as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that God has lifted the burden of your sin off of you in his redemptive work on the cross. He forgives you. You are forgiven in Jesus. That's great news. That's the news that we carry as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes, though, we don't apply the gospel to ourselves, and though we know in some way that God has forgiven us, on some level we kind of get it and accept it, but it doesn't fully translate into the balance of our lives. And so sometimes we fail to forgive ourselves and to allow the mercy of God to be sufficient in our lives. So God has forgiven us. And so we need to forgive ourselves, and furthermore, we need to forgive those in our life who need our forgiveness. We need to do for others what Jesus has done for us. Not always easy to do, but by God's grace, we can accomplish that. By God's grace, he is glorified by that action. So even as we have freely received, it was free to us, cost Jesus everything, even as it was free received. We've received the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy of God. We need to apply it to our lives, forgiving ourselves, and then applying it to others, walking in the fullness of that redemptive work, that atonement that God has accomplished for us. Thank God for his, thank God for his utter holiness, and thank God for his total atonement. Ezekiel received a similar vision in Ezekiel 1. You can go back and read that vision. It's very similar to what we read about in Isaiah chapter 6 and in Revelation chapter 4. As we, again, we, over and over again, we just see the whole of God's word working together to communicate a message. And that message always points us to the finished work of Jesus. So you can go back and read that vision. But I found a couple of pictures that illustrate that vision. So let's throw those pictures up here. This is the first picture. And so you see one of the uh, one of the pictures there in Ezekiel, you, you see this. You see um, a four-faced beast with a lion, ox, a man, an eagle represented there. So you see Ezekiel saw something similar to what Isaiah saw and to what John is seeing in 
Revelation chapter 4. And then you go to the next picture and you see kind of a picture. Now this is an artist's rendering, incomplete altogether. Um, And when we get to heaven, we're going to be like, oh, but this helps us, right? This helps us to realize that there's something otherworldly going on. In fact, what's going on in the supernatural realm is much more real and much more concrete than what is happening in the natural realm. We can put more evidence or more faith in that than we do in the natural. And so we need to be reminded that while we're here for a brief time yesterday, we celebrated Scott Goodman's mom's life at Tascadero Bible Church. She would have been 74 yesterday. They had her Uh, memorial service on her birthday and it was a beautiful thing to be able to tell Scott and Amy hey our grandbaby was born on your mom's birthday and so even as we brought this precious grandbaby into the earth we're celebrating your mom's life and so it's full circle and so uh, we need to remember in all of our living and as we see people born and see people pass we need to know that as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ our life is brief here it's it's a vapor. It, it's here for a moment and then it is gone. And in eternity, we're going to live forever and ever with the one who lives forever and ever. We're adopted into his family and brought into the kingdom because he is good, not because we are good. And so we get to live out of that reality. And as we live out of that reality, we can bring others along with us so that they might live out of that reality. We need, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, to make eternity our aim, but be very busy about our Father's work here in the earth so we take as many people with us as possible. I want to get up there and know that I've taken people with me by God's grace because he's good, not because I'm good, but because I understood something about my purpose in the earth, and it wasn't about what the world will tell you your purpose is about, but it's about what Jesus tells you your purpose is about. That's why we're here, and that's why we study these books, to remind us to remind us what our purpose is all about. So wrapping up Revelation chapter 4, verse 9. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And so we've got this response, um, and it's a compelling response when we understand the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we understand what's going on in a supernatural sense, it's a compelling response. But sometimes we just don't know how to worship, or we just don't understand what that looks like, or quite honestly, we just don't feel like worshiping. Tim Motter, uh, every week with the creative team, after they've practiced out here and getting ready for church, they'll do a devotion and prayer time in the green room, and I was sitting in on the devotion and prayer time this morning in the green room, and Tim was reading to the team from this devotional titled Before We Gather, written by Zach Hicks. And as he was reading it, I thought, man, that's exactly what the church needs to hear about worship. It speaks so clearly to the church about worship. And so this chapter, chapter 12, titled The Lord is My Song, is based on Psalm 118, verses 1 through 14. So I'll just read briefly what the author writes in this book. 
He said, some days it's really hard to sing. Singing demands so much from you done properly. It's one of the few modes of human expression that requires so much of your faculties, mind, body, spirit, will, and emotions. It's, it's taxing. No wonder God wants us to sing to him. As, as an art form, singing just might be the clearest symbol of the whole life the symbol of the whole life worship, offering our entire selves as living sacrifices to God, based on Romans 12, 1. Singing is also an exercise in vulnerability. He said, when I sing, you're not just hearing an, an instrument that someone made, you're hearing me. It's like allowing the inmost portion of your soul to expose itself to others. It's very intimate. For these reasons and more, singing is hard enough to do on the good days. For many people, it just might be impossible on the bad. It might be hard to admit, but have you ever come to worship and felt like you really didn't want to sing that day? Did it feel like it would take more energy or joy than you had, or like you like you'd be an imposter because your heart wouldn't really be in it? Funny enough, if you really think about the lyrics to Psalm 118, you get the impression that it's you get the impression that it's a song written by someone who's really struggling to sing. On one read, perhaps you could hear phrases like the Lord is on my side, I will not fear, verse 6 as bold, triumphant, and joyful, but if you pay attention to the feeling, the feeling words the psalmist uses throughout, you get the impression that he's trying to, he's trying to convince himself that all these triumphant truths are real and worth singing about. The psalmist says he is in distress, verse 5, that he's surrounded, verses 10 through 12, and that he's falling, verse 13. I don't know about you, but when I'm feeling those things, the last thing I want to do is sing. So why is the psalmist singing? What gives him the strength? Verse 14 is the answer. The Lord is my strength and my song. Surprise. The psalmist isn't singing at all. The Lord is. When the psalmist sings, the Lord is my song, it's not only that the Lord is the content of his song, nor, it's, nor is it merely some symbolic way of saying that God is the object or audience of his song. The Lord himself is his song. When we sing, therefore, we don't just sing about the Lord or to the Lord. When we sing, the, the Lord sings himself. The Lord himself sings. Scripture attests that God is a singer. <laughs> Zephaniah 3.17 says that God 
is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Isn't that a beautiful picture of our Lord? And not only is God a singer, but God the Son is said to be singing with us when we gather for worship. Quoting Psalm 22, Hebrews 2.12 has Jesus declaring, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And, And right here, we're able to make a connection between our singing Savior and what it means when Scripture says that as the church, we are the body of Christ. The body of Christ is more than a metaphor. And if so, it means that when the body of Christ sings, the voice of Christ singing can be heard. So this is the natural response, worship. It's the natural response of the four living creatures and the 24 elders who are in the presence of the living God. But we know from Scripture that we too are in the presence of God where two or more are gathered in his name, we're promised that he is there in our midst. And so we are worshiping in the presence of God, and we can be sure that God is present, he's here, and that he's singing with us, and that there's, as the psalmist declares, there's strength derived from that experience when we allow God to, through us, exalt his name and worship his name, because there are days it, for each of us when we show up here and we're not quite ready to worship. We're, we're not quite feeling it. And so we can relate to the psalmist who wasn't quite feeling it in his own life. And yet he, by God's grace, decided. And that's really what most of the Christian life is all about it's about a decision. We make a decision to trust Jesus. We make a decision to invite Jesus. And we make a decision to worship Jesus in spite of circumstances, good, bad, or indifferent. We decide because we are the children of the living God who have been redeemed and adopted into the family of God. We, out of that awareness, that understanding, that clarity, that victory, we decide to worship and we worship him in spirit and in truth. And so whatever worship looks like to you, whether you lift up holy hands or just worship from your hearts, whether you're standing or seated, whatever the case may be, the important thing is that we worship from a heart that is fully devoted to God. And not just fully devoted, but fully focused on God. I think some of the biggest hindrances to worship is that we can't get our minds off of our problems We can't get our minds off of our issues and our circumstances. And so those things hinder our ability to get our focus right where our focus needs to be. Our help is in the Lord. And so when we're constantly focused on our problems, that's all we can think about. When we constantly focus on the source of our help, the Lord... And everything changes, perspective changes, faith is built up. All of a sudden we have the capacity to believe God in maybe relationships or arenas or scenarios that we weren't able to believe 
God prior. But when we get our eyes on God and we understand who he is, and we were talking about his attributes in the Selah moment, reminding ourselves who God is. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is the Prince of Peace. He is so many, many things. And so if we get our focus on that and not on all of this, we'll be able to worship, whether with hands lifted, with voices singing, with our full attention on Jesus. And then and in those moments, and only in those moments, can we get the clarity that we need for the relationships, the struggles. I was praying with a couple right here after first service, and they were talking about what seemed to be an impossible scenario. And many of us are often up against what seemed like impossible scenarios. But when we remember God and remember what he's accomplishing in that impossible scenario in our lives and in the lives of those watching our lives, we're reminded that God's got this. He is on the throne and he is in control. We get fearful and become disobedient because we forget that he's on the throne and that he's in control. If we can just live our lives right there, if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else will be added unto us. We won't run to the wrong stuff when we're fretting and worried. We won't think about the wrong stuff when we're fretting and worried. We will keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Maybe you're trying to worship. You're trying to fix your eyes on Jesus. You're trying to get there, but it's just a struggle. Why not just do what we see in Scripture? Why not just emulate what we see in the Word of God? And with the 24 elders, say, worthy, worthy are you, our Lord and God. Worthy, just begin with that. Worthy are you, our Lord and God. And even as we declare that by faith, out of obedience, there's something that is built up in our most holy faith, something within us that begins to come alive. We begin to realize something about our Lord. He's worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. We're reminded about his creative powers, his ability. You created all things, and by your will, they existed and were created. And so out of that, the revelation of the Scripture, we are built up in our faith. And, and out of that revelation, we're able to worship with clarity and with minimal distraction. This morning in our pre-service prayer time. We meet at 8 o'clock on Sunday mornings, just praying for the day and just praying for the services. And, and um, Gunther brought a box of these prayer guides to the, to the meeting. And, and I said, Gunther, what is that? There's so many good things happening around here that I know nothing about. And so when Gunther brings a box of these things, I'm like, hey, Gunther, what do you got there? I haven't ever seen these before. And he showed me what we have, and I guess they've been around a while, but we haven't distributed them much lately. And so it's, it's a prayer guide for our church. And I thought, well, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that in my Bible right next to my Bible in one year reading plan. <laughs> I'm caught up. Everybody caught up? 
I, was, I, I got up yesterday, and it was super early and had to get to the men's breakfast. We had 80 guys or more show up to the men's breakfast yesterday. Thanks to everybody who showed up and worked so hard to make that possible. It was just a glorious time. But I get out of the house. I get down here a little after 6. And, and then um, after that, I went home and got freshened up and went to North County for a, a memorial service at a Tascadero Bible Church. And then after that, went to go visit my granddaughter, who's just been born. And so it was a busy day. And so I never got a chance to get to my reading for the day. So I knew this morning when I woke up that I needed to do both Saturday's reading and Sunday's reading before I get to church because I don't want to show up without my homework done, you know? <laughs> and uh, so I took the time to do that this morning and I thought I'm going to put this prayer for our church guide right next to that in my Bible. And this is what it says. It says this, the prayers and scripture passages in this guide are springboards to prayer for the mission and ministry of our church. Outreach, evangelism, and discipleship are the keys to the building of the kingdom of God. Pray these verbatim if you're more comfortable doing that or use them to inspire you to deeper prayer in as the Holy Spirit leads you. Also, don't worry about praying the entire guide. Let the Spirit lead you in what you should pray each time you meet with him. Keep in mind that these prayers are for the mission of the church and for those who will be touched by them. May God bless you as you spend time in his presence. And so you can grab one of these from the info center and use it as uh, encouragements as you're attempting to worship the Lord. Read through that and use it as a springboard. Read what is written in the scripture as a springboard and watch, watch your prayer life, your worship life come to life again. Maybe it used to be really vibrant and very fresh and maybe it's not so vibrant and fresh anymore. It can be vibrant and fresh again if you just make it your priority. And remember that God is on the throne and he's in control and he's worthy. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand and we're going to worship. <laughs> it's not just a closing song to fill the time or to make the transition good, but it's actually worship in, to kind of get us prepped for <laughs> this week. I, I want to go into this week prepped as we worship. And so, Lord, as we worship, God, remind us of truth, fill us with truth, wash over us with truth, we pray. Be glorified, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship. <laughs> 